from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash DT. Hope you're all doing well this morning, keeping warm, staying fresh, and enjoying the new year. Can't believe it's January, and I can't believe it's January 3rd already, folks. It's like the New Year's ball dropped that I'm sitting here, did a show yesterday, the first show of the new year, and then bang, here we are, Wednesday, January 3rd, and we continue to roll forward. And, uh, you know, I got to say something, though. I have some good neighbors, and I'm going to discuss that in a little while here on the show. But let's get into it in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is the home of the Dan Tortora Special Belgian Waffle Cut in half, filled with a bacon, egg, and cheese omelet. We have sold, I think, 70 on average per week. It's insane. You guys have been absolutely amazing. And the sandwich is going into its third year as of two days ago. So thank you so much for all the work that you have done to make the Market Diner your premier place and to make the Dan Tortora Special your premier sandwich. Here in the morning menu, we're going to start the show off with Dave Paziak. You know Dave as that basketball mind, the analyst that I always trust when it comes to the sport of basketball, a sport that I love, and I'm very happy to have him here on the show. He used to coach within these these confines of Central and Upstate New York, and now he is with the Linden Hornets in his first season with that team. We're going to talk about how the season's been going for a local guy that's branched out, and we're also going to discuss the NBA, and we'll take some time with UCF and that conversation that we've been continuing on through yesterday. So with that being said, Dave, how are you doing today? Hey, Dan. Great to talk to you. Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. I hope you're doing well. And same to you, Dave. I hope that I hope that this new year will be good for you. And my question for you in the new year, and obviously I hope it's a blessed year for you, what are you most looking forward to in the new year? Uh, right now I'm just looking forward to our game tonight. <laughs> we're kind of uh, taking it one, you know, one day and one step at a time. But uh, you know, kind of globally, big picture. Um, you know, you just hope that in the new year, um, you know, we kind of move towards like a how do I want to put it, uh, a more um, a more peaceful world and a more um, harmonious country and world and everything and. Um, you know, big picture, you'd hope that we as a, as a people and a society could, could move in that direction. Um, you know, individually, just, uh, you know, professionally and everything, just looking at, uh, um, you know, trying to, trying to build a culture and build a program here at Linden. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head on what we need to do as a society to grow and build together and become a better people. I mean, there's, there's work to be done for us, and and you and I. I mean, I, I feel like you and I, we we know the importance of community and family and and love and positivity. And you know, it's it's kind of I guess on our shoulders to help build it and to hope that we find it in other people. But I got to tell you, if you look for good, you will find it. And I know that you're. What are you gonna say? I was gonna say absolutely. 
And, and when you look at, at your team and, and, you know, looking for good and looking for positivity, it's your first season with the program, with the, with the Linden team, with the Linden Hornets. And, you know, to, to have this program inside of your conference, the NEAC, and one and three so far in the conference, one and seven overall. I mean, this is something that takes time. Programs take time. And just speak to, you know, the decisions you've had to make and the things that you do as a coach that, that go thankless or go unnoticed. Because when you walk into a program that obviously, I mean, if the program was doing great and everything was wonderful, then chances are they kept their coach. Or if things are going great and wonderful, the coach moved up to another job and then you inherit a team that has a lot of good going on. In your case, you're inheriting a team that needs some help, that wants to grow and get better. So, you know, just what you can say about taking over a team that that obviously needed some shakeup and needed some movement and just how you've tried to handle that professionally and make sure that you're making the right moves to set a foundation for your future. Well, I think, you know, in terms of our current team, and I I came up here full-time October 1st, and um, so a lot of it is just, learning the guys here and they're learning me and you know what you know i'm learning about them and um you know what their their strengths and weaknesses are athletically and most importantly learning learning them as people you know so we can kind of help them continue to grow as as young people and and be successful in the classroom and hopefully be successful um adults you know once they once they graduate from london um you know so that's like the kind of the immediate priority when I first take the job up here. Um, you know, and along with that, in terms of the program, we're, you know, we're trying to um, establish and build a program culture and, um, you know, kind of teach our guys to be individually accountable, uh, accountable as athletes and students and people and, um, you know, and, and also like collectively be accountable for each other as a, as, as a program. And, um, control the controllables, you know, your attitude and your effort, and uh, just try to take a view of um, learn from every situation, positive and negative. And um, we talk about short-term recall, about, you know, everything that happens to you. Um, you know, first first step is to recognize it, then to own it, then you learn from it, then you forget it. And the quicker you can um, kind of go through that cycle with, you know, with everything that comes up in basketball or comes up in general, um, I think that, you know, the more you open yourself up for, for growth as an individual and growth as a team, you know, we've, we've got some core values that are important to me and important to us as far as how we're going to represent, um, Linden State College and our Linden basketball team and, um, you know, fostering an atmosphere of respect within the team and within the campus and, uh, want to develop a great work ethic as as students and as athletes and most importantly want to be about uh, about the team team first and um the guys that are um going to subscribe to that and you know be put the team first and their teammates first and you know guys that um you know some guys that, that, that can't or aren't willing to do that um you know it's not the right situation for them doesn't make them bad guys just you know you need to be about uh about the team and about doing things the right way and being accountable and when you look at doing things the right way being accountable being about the team you know i I want to move forward into the nba and obviously alonzo ball has talent and we know that he could do some good things we know that he could bring something to a team 
But when you have a father who is very much father-centric, very much how can I advance off my child and, and how can I how can I make myself a product of, you know, the success of, of my children? I mean, he's, he's building a brand off of utilizing and and using his kids and, and to the detriment of his children. When you look at LiAngelo and what happened with, with UCLA. So, I mean, how, how do you see this situation? We've discussed it before, but you know, as a head coach, you know, you could be dealing with parents, you could be dealing with uncles and aunts and friends and colleagues and whatnot, and if you tell a guy, hey, it's not in the best interest of the team for you to be on the team anymore, then, you know, that ha- that could have repercussions. If you have somebody sit down for five minutes, that can have repercussions. So, you know, knowing that as a head coach, you have to try and win games, and you don't want to deal with the outside noise, and to the best of your ability, you try to quiet that noise and make sure that, you know, there's respect all around. If you had a LeVar Ball sitting in your stands, coming and talking to you after every single game, how would you react? Well, I'll preface this by saying, like, how I would react in, in our situation in Division Three basketball is a lot different than, um, you know, how Walton and the Lakers and the NBA and, you know, professional um environment's going to react because um you know my thing is like i i try to deal with you know with all student athletes as young adults and um you know being accountable for yourself and um in your own actions and conduct and productivity and whatnot so in terms of dealing with you know with parents um you know, if you want to speak to me about the well-being, you know, there's something that, that, that I can help with, and, you know, um, you know, the, the health and well-being of your um, of your son. Um, definitely, we'll have a conversation about that. But um, at the end of the day, I want them to, you know, whether it's with the coach or with a faculty member, want that trying to empower them to um, kind of fight their own battles. I guess is the way I would put it. Um, in terms of ball. Um, the thing that really irks me about him, like uh, LeVar Ball, like to me, he's a clown, you know, and I, I really don't mean to be insulting or anything, but I just, I mean, there's been other like high profile um, parents, like, in, like in, in sports, you know, go back to Marinovich or um, like Earl Woods or Williams, the tennis, uh, Richard Williams, the ten- tennis player's father and all that, who have been kind of over the top, but those parents all seem to be motivated by promoting their kids and creating, you know, opportunity for their, for their children. Um, you know, and I think it's done out of, um, you know, out of, from, from that perspective, the thing that gets me about ball is everything seems to be about promoting him at the, you know, sometimes at the expense of his kids, um, and, and, and making decisions, that help the LeVar ball brand as opposed to the Lonzo or LaMelo ball brand. And that, that's, that, that's the thing that, that irks me about, about his situation. Now, you know, I, I, I think I, I credit him for like thinking out of the box with some things. And I think he, you know, he legitimately, you know, loves his kids and wants for his kids. But I also think that a lot of it in his case is fueled by, 
just beating his own ego and promoting his own brand as opposed to promoting his kids, if that makes any sense. Speaking here with Dave Paziak, head coach of the Linden Hornets and a basketball mind that I've appreciated on this show, having conversations with for years now. Got to be at least seven years that, that Dave and I have been back and forth speaking to you on the show and, and sharing our, our thoughts and our opinions and, and you sharing yours as well on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT. And, you know, Dave, to, to continue this a, a little bit more, to see the situation with UCLA, I mean, e- easily Leangelo could have, I mean, this he didn't just steal from a place. He stole from a place inside of a country that, you know, things get shaky with with America from time to time. And, you know, it's an inter- it, it is an international incident and he could have gone to jail for 10 years. And, you know, very easily this could have all happened. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, stepped in and tried to stop this, and it worked. And then they go back to UCLA, and and LiAngelo and his two teammates get suspended. And LeVar says, you know what? We're good. He's not going to be on your team anymore. I'm pulling him out of college. Looking at that situation and then subsequently what came from it, I'm going to start the Junior Basketball Association, the JBA. I'm going to pay you $10,000 a month and do this, that, and the other. Where's the money going to come from? What is this guy talking about? You're going to give up your amateur status, and I'm basically going to pay you a ton of money to be a 17-, 18-year-old kid who can get ready for the NBA where they're hopefully going to play you, pay you a ton of money. Uh, it, it seems to be just spinning out of control. Now, nobody is telling this man to stop. Nobody, I mean, people are making comments, this, that, and the other, but it seems like this tornado is just spinning wider. How do you look at the JBA, and, and how do you look at the fact that now he's trying to take on the NCAA as an as a full entity? You and I know the NCAA has their problems, but what are you taking away from this? Well, I think that this, you know, two, two different things that work there. First, the, you know, the specific situation with this kid and the incident in UCLA when they're in China and all that, um, you know, that's just, I mean, that, that's just an example of like, you know, I talk about accountability. That's like refusing to be accountable. It's like, you know, they got, they got arrested and instead of, um, being contrite and, um, apologetic and appreciative of the efforts of the government to get them, you know, get them out of the bind that they were in. Um, you know, his response is, you know, I'm, we're just going to leave. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Um, so I think he's not really, um, it's not a good life lesson for his son or it's not, and it's not a good life lesson for, you know, kids that, that may follow and admire and emulate his, his son. Um, so that you know that is the issue that i have there um in terms of what he's like kind of what he's proposed with um you know with a a, like a professional prospect league junior basketball association i think if you separate lamar ball from it like i said he thinks out of the box and um you know so that piece of it um, I begrudgingly have to give him some you know, some backhanded credit for um, for just you know, kind of coming up with an uh, an idea like that. And, um, you know, I think major college, the people that have a lot of dollars invested in major college basketball have to watch. The, I don't know, and I'm skeptical whether it will ever take off. But if it does, 
Um, I think it would certainly change the landscape of basketball and the landscape of, uh, of, of major college basketball because then kids would have a, you know, you hear about the whole issue of kids getting should get paid, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, this, I think that route, if it were to, to, to really take off and, and become something substantial, um, you know, kids that really don't have a huge interest in being in college other than playing ball for a year so they can get drafted. I mean, that gives them kind of an, uh, an avenue to do that without, like, being a fraudulent student athlete, I guess. Um, you know, so I, I think the concept, whether it's going to take off or not, is another story, but I think the concept actually, um, you know, is a little bit out of the box, and, and it'll be interesting to see if it actually um, – actually goes anywhere yeah i mean for me and i feel the same way as you do dave i feel like i had to give some yeah just not to him not to lavar but but to the junior basketball association to say okay you know you're providing a bridge and another option for these kids because the NCAA makes money off them hand over fist and you're trying to give them an opportunity to bridge the gap a little bit here and I can understand that and I can kind of see where he was going with that so there's something to that at the same time it's LeVar Ball and at the same time you're throwing out numbers like I'm gonna give you ten thousand dollars a month I'd love to know where the hell that money's coming from so you know, there, there's a lot of questions that this brings up. And again, it's LeVar Ball that's a part of it. And we know that LeVar Ball could say all this stuff, build all this stuff, do all this stuff. And then on a random Tuesday, he decides, I don't want to do it anymore, shuts down the league and everybody's screwed and they've all given up their amateur status. So, you know, to, to me, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an idea in the hands of a maniac. So if there's a good idea in the hands of a maniac, what does it turn into? I just, it's very difficult for me, but you know that I, I take issue with LeVar saying, my son Lonzo is only playing for the Lakers. The Lakers will draft him before he knew if they were going to be number one, number two, number 10, number 13, whatever. He said, he's only playing for the Lakers. He's going to the Lakers. And then the Lakers drafted him. And then to say to LiAngelo, you just stole from China. You could have gotten screwed over. You could have ruined your life, but I'm going to take you off this team that tried to punish you. And then that LaMelo is there, and God only knows what happens from here with everybody. But it, it just seems like a, just a, a rolling tide of, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, and then it's going to happen. And nobody's really stopping the man. Nobody's really pulling him aside. You know, Magic. if I'm Magic Johnson, I'm going, I had to literally, LeVar, create a Lakers media relations announcement about how the media cannot speak to anyone who is brought there in connection with the players that is family, whether it be a father, an uncle, a mother, whatever, a brother. They had to create their own media release on why we don't want you to interview LeVar Ball, but we got to say everybody. I mean, there's special, when, wherever this man goes, there's special rules and special treatment. And I feel that the, the thing that he's doing is not only ugly when you look at it in and of itself, but it's ugly because people will look at him, look to him and say, well, if he can shake things up and be a nuisance, 
so can I, and you can't stop me. And I always look at the big picture of how many LeVar Ball lookalikes and do-alikes are there going to be in this world now that they know that you can kind of get away with things if you want to. Yeah, you, I mean, you're 100% right on that. I mean, you see it at all levels. I mean, you see the out-of-control parents. I mean, and this, and this is not a new phenomenon. I mean, you, you see the out-of-control parents at at youth sports and high school sports. And, um, you know, he he happens to be the guy that, you know, because his, his kids have a high level of talent, he's, he's gotten a platform for it. And, like, unfortunately, uh, you know, that's kind of how we have devolved. I wouldn't say evolved. We've devolved it, it, in terms of, like media and what gets attention and you know it's it, i mean a loud mouth like him gets attention right that's why um you know you see the things in you know not to get into you know into the news world or politics too much but that's why you, you know the sensational story gets all the airplay on the major news networks instead of or, or the dirt story or or whatnot gets all the play instead of you know what's going on with you know, the economy or security or my safety or, or my health and well-being is going to affect you and I as individuals. Um, so we've, that's kind of, I think, our, our mindset it, it has kind of gotten to the point where you know, the, the, the loud mouth and obnoxious guy like him gets the, gets the attention all the time. Um, you know, and the more outrageous you can be, the more the more attention you can seek and and again i'll come back to what i said it's all with him it appears to be and i don't know the guy so you know i'm just going the perception and it appears to be that it's all about promoting him and his brand and you know as opposed to um promoting his kids and like i think that's what he's doing with this jba it's about him it's like you pay the kids ten thousand dollars a certain percentage of those kids make it big you know, and probably doesn't take very many. And now they sign on with Big Baller, and now he just paid for the league. Right. And, you know, so I think I'm sure that's what's in his mind is that um, you know I don't think he's proposing this the, the, this concept out of the goodness of his heart. I think at the end of the day, his motivation is it's going to be good for Levar Ball. You know, I think that's why that's his motivation for doing it. Yeah. Speaking here with Dave Paziak, Lyndon, Horton, Lyndon Hornets head coach, as well as a strong basketball mind that uh, I appreciate when we sit here and analyze the game and, and what's going on, no matter what level we're at. Also taking a big picture look at sports in general. But before we take that big picture look, I wanted to go to the NBA as a whole and kind of just look at what's been on your mind so far this season. I mean, when it comes to, you know, what's being advertised, of course, it's LeBron it's Kyrie Irving, it's, you know, it's Isaiah Thomas, it's Steph Curry, it's the usual suspects, it's Kevin Durant and whatnot, but what have you been taking away from where we stand right now? I mean, if the playoffs were to start today, you know, and I know that we're early on, we're about 30, you know, about 35, 40 games in, so depending on what team you're looking at, but Boston is number one, Toronto's number two, Cleveland's number three, Detroit's boosted themselves, Miami, Indiana, have gotten better. The Wizards are right there in the middle of the pack, and so are the Bucks. On the other side of it, Golden State's number one, no surprise. Houston's behind them, though. Very, very close behind them. San Antonio is always relevant. I think they get totally disregarded for being the most relevant team 
over a decade. I mean, Golden State through this decade, yes, but San Antonio has survived the test of time of David Robinson to Tim Duncan to everybody after that. And Minnesota, it's taken forever and a day for them to be somewhere. They're in fourth place. They're above Oklahoma City. Denver's made it back. Portland's in there. The New Orleans Pelicans are kind of hanging around right now at, uh, at 500 at the time that we're speaking. So, there are some changes. There are there's some movement happening in the NBA, and I think it's really funny because I've talked to a few people lately, and they're like, "Wow, Toronto's really terrible this year, and they're struggling." And I was like, "They're 25 and 10, and they're in second place behind only Boston College or Boston College, Boston Celtics." So, you know, I guess perception to some people is reality, but to me, reality is reality. What do you think about where things are going? I mean, Cleveland is in third place. They've had some struggling moments. And like I said, Detroit's found a way to get better. Minnesota's had some relevancy. A lot of people are discussing the strength of the Houston Rockets. There's some changes going on. And and right now it looks like Boston had the better end of the stick in the deal. So how are you looking at things right now? Well, I mean, I think the the league itself, I think, is in in a better place than a lot of people give it credit for. I think there's a lot of... um, of like the next wave of, of really good players to be the face of the league. I think, um, you know, between like Simmons and Embiid and Philly being a Sixer fan, I, I watched them a lot. You know, Porzingis with the Knicks, uh, Anthony Kumbo with the, with the Bucks. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the towns with, with, with Minnesota, I think there's a lot of really good young talent in the league right now. It's like the next, um, next generation of stars after, you know, when LeBron starts to fade and KD starts to fade. And, um, you know, so I think the league is in a good place in that sense. I also think you talked about perception and reality. Um, I think at least so far this year, I mean, the perception for years has been that the West is, is so much stronger than the East. And I think so far this year, um, I think there's a lot more balance between East and West than, than, uh, than people recognize. I think, you know, you still got Golden State, um, you know, still – God's on favorite, obviously, um, you know, with Durant and Curry and, and the rest of their cast, there's still the odds on favorite, but I think in terms of depth within the conference, um, you know, I think the East is, it has started to catch up with the, the West in that regard. Um, you know, Boston got off to a great start. I think, uh, they benefited a little bit. The schedule was pretty favorable to them early on. Um, and they've also played more games and it has to do with like, uh, um, like an old deal they made with an overseas game. But if you look, they've played like five more games than Toronto, for example. But uh, um, so that will balance itself out a little bit. Um, you know, the home and road and um, number of games and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, Cleveland is like people, like people were hitting the panic button with Cleveland. People were hitting the panic button with OKC early. You know, anytime you're like the core of your roster um, turns as much as it, it did with those teams and there is a little adjustment period and i think cleveland has has started to figure out and they got thomas back last night we'll give them uh another boost offensively and at the end of the day they still have the best player on the planet Um, toronto i think has always been a somewhat underappreciated team and a lot of that comes from you know know, toronto has probably i would say overachieved overachieved in the regular season underachieved in the postseason uh in recent years so um, you know, and, and 
Boston, there's talk that they may get Hayward back for the playoffs, um, and that would be interesting. On the one hand, you're at, adding a, an all-star caliber player. On the other hand, are you upsetting the you know the mix that's got them off to uh, uh, the start they've had? You know, in the West, Houston's kind of stubbed their toe of late, but they were tremendous early. And the interesting thing about them is that they went on such a tear when Chris Paul was out, and now like and then Paul came back. That played really well, and now seem to have stalled a little bit over the last four or five games. Um, you know, I don't know that Houston has quite enough to overtake Golden State in a seven-game series. Um, San Antonio, that's another team. You know, people kind of dismiss them, but they really haven't had a full team and a healthy team all year. Leonard just came back, and he's you know playing limited minutes and somewhat restricted. So. Um, you know, I think the, the, it's it's on the one hand it's the usual suspects. You know, um, Cleveland, Toronto, Boston in the East, um, Warriors, Houston, and San Antonio in the West. But you know, there are some some teams on the rise knocking on the doorstep too. Yeah, you know, and and I think that this season inside of the NBA, I mean, it's going to be exciting. And and I want to you know go just a, a little bit deeper into the team that resides in the North, the only Canadian team. What do you think about where Toronto's at right now and, and what they've been doing? The focus always is on Cleveland, and then there's some focus that has trended the way of the Boston Celtics. But what have you taken away from Toronto this year? I mean, obviously they have DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, two big names that have been you know, so much to the to the team and so much to their growth. DeMar didn't want to be anywhere else and signed on without any hesitation. Kyle Lowry, they almost let go to the Knicks a couple of years ago. Serge Ibaka obviously has shown that, you know, the big man jump shot, he can make that thing fall. Jonas Valanciunas has been a big part of, of what they've tried to do inside since drafting him. What have you taken away from this year's Toronto team who, you know, doesn't have that guy? I mean, I guess you could try and argue DeMar DeRozan, but doesn't have that all-star. And, and I was told about, at this point, I think it was about five, six years ago, that to, from the inside out of the Toronto organization, they said, we're not looking for a guy that we're going to, a superstar that we're going to build everything around that we can lose again. You know, they're like, we did that with Vince Carter. We did it with Tracy McGrady. We did it with David Stoudemire. We're not trying to and Chris Bosch, we're not trying to get that one guy who's going to be with us for a little while, make himself look good, and then hightail it out of here. We're going to build this as a team, as a unit, as every single one of us guys. How has this unit built this season, in your opinion? Well, you know, I think if you dig deeper and into the stats, you know, people will tell you that scoring margin, average scoring margin, is probably the best indicator of team success. And if you look at that, I mean, Toronto, I think, is third in the league after uh, Golden State and Houston. So, I mean, the the advanced stats would tell you over the long haul, you know, they're playing at a higher level than Boston or Cleveland, even though they're you know two games back of Boston in the standings. But, uh, um, you know, so historically that kind of thing will level itself out. And, you know, like I said, I mean, they've done a great job of keeping DeRozan and Lowry intact and trying to put pieces around them. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think they get dismissed being a Canadian team in the United States. So they, they don't, uh, garner quite the media attention as like Cleveland because of LeBron or Boston because of the history of the franchise. Um, so I think like 
that tends they tend to get the short end of the stick a little bit in terms of um, kind of attention and appreciation and coverage and whatnot from the media. But um, you know, I think how they've how they've kept Lowry and DeRozan um, and tried to add pieces around that. You know, you, you hear in the playoffs, you know, when they've had some some playoff struggles in recent years here, like have, have they reached their ceiling and do they need to tear down and rebuild? And, um, you know, I personally, you know, I, I like teams that, that try to make the, the incremental leaps. You know, I've been a suffering Sixers fan and, you know, the, the, the four, three or four years of stink to get to where they are now, like was really tough to go through. So, um, you know, I think Toronto, they're probably, I think to win a championship, maybe one piece away, um, you know, if there's a move out there that they can make to give give them a little bit more balance between what they get on the perimeter with DeRozan and Lowry, and um, maybe had a like a whisker more balance and presence inside. But uh, you know, I I admire the way they've like kept their team at a high level and you know tried to add incrementally and and stay at that level to you know to to make the next step. That coming from Dave Paziak, Linden Hornets men's basketball head coach and basketball mind that I've trusted here on the show for years and will continue to. Great talking with you about everything, Dave. And really, really quick here to jump off the court, just uh, quickly, your thoughts on UCF, because I know we think similarly on what happened football-wise. Just what you could say about UCF. Well, I I think it's unfortunate in college football. I mean, (laughs) the whole playoff system, you go to their website, they say this system uh, guarantees access to every uh, every. Uh, FCS school, uh, FBS school, and that is clearly not the case. I mean, you can win every game on your schedule, and not even be afforded an opportunity to play for a national championship. That's kind of ridiculous. And then, and you got uh, you know teams that don't even win their conference um, get an opportunity to play for a title when a team that wins every game on their schedule. And you know they had, if you dig into it, I believe. I might be off on this, but I, I believe this is correct, that going into the playoffs, they had as many top 25 wins as Alabama had. Um, and they beat the team that beat both Alabama and Georgia. Um, you know, so uh, I think they've clearly proven that they um, belong on that national stage, and I just think it's it's unfortunate with the system the way we've had it. And it's happened to other teams before, like Boise State and TCU, you know, teams that have had – you know, you, you run through everybody on your schedule. Uh, I think you, you you deserve an opportunity to play for a national championship. You know, and UCF will not get. You know, people will point to conference and schedule and all that kind of thing. Um, you play who's in front of you, and they've proven themselves against every team that's been put in front of them this year. And I think it's unfortunate that they don't have a chance to play for a title. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that, you know, in Alabama, like they said, had a weak schedule, yet, you know, you let Alabama into the college football playoff. Why? Partially, probably because of the name, and then secondarily, because you believe that their talent's going to be there. And they will show up, but at the same time, UCF did it all season long, did everything they were supposed to do, won everything they were supposed to win, won their conference in the regular season, you know, won, won their side of the conference in the division in the American Athletic East during the regular season, won the AAC championship, then moved on to win a bowl game against the SEC's Auburn, who defeated Alabama and Georgia. So you ask them to do what they're supposed to do, and they do that. And they did all of this, by the way, playing 11 straight weeks due to a hurricane. I just want to let everybody be clear on that as well. 
So with that being said, UCF, darn good season, and I respect the heck out of them, and the guys know that. Dave, as always, I appreciate you being on the show, and we're going to have to make this a regular thing now. I know it's been a little while, but we're going to have to get you on and, and keep this thing rolling because we've only barely scratched the surface of what we can talk about. So my best to you with the Linden Hornets, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Appreciate it, Dan. Look forward to talking to you again. All right. Take care, Dave. That coming from Dave Paziak. We'll take a very quick step aside for a fast break because we have to get on the air Sean Pinkerton this morning of the Oswego State Lakers women's basketball team. This is a wake-up call fast break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. I am now joined by Oswego State Lakers women's basketball head coach Sean Pinkerton in his second in his first season with the team second time here on the air on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora, and we're happy to have him back. Sean, how you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Dan. How are you doing? Doing very well. And, and Sean, I want to get into how the team has been doing lately because I, I know that uh, you had at the end of November, early part of December, a three-game losing streak, and since then, the last three games, you've been two and one. So you look at steady progress, and you look at the team making improvements and, and making those those baby steps toward moving toward something positive for the future. Just what you can say about how the team has handled these last three games and, and with, you know, two of them being on the road and going one and one there and, or pardon me, all three of them being on the road, two of them inside the SUNYAC to go two and one in your most recent road stint, just what you can say about the efficiency of the team and how the team has gotten better over time. In your opinion, if you've seen that steady progress. Sure. Yeah, the last three games, I think, um, you know, it was really big in conference play to go on the road down to Buff State, Fredonia, and pick up a win. Um, was really proud of the kids and happy with the way we played down at Buff State. And just looking at two of those three games, the Buff State game and the Cavs game, we made shots. You know, we were efficient offensively. Uh, we shot the ball well. Um, I think a big part of us shooting the ball well was that we were executing at a high level on the offensive end of the floor, good attention to detail, which created high percentage shots for us and allowed us to make shots. You know, at, at Fredonia, we did a nice job turning them over, you know, really attacked the offensive glass well. And, and the thing that I took away from that, at least, was, one, we got down by 18 in the second half and fought back to make it a, about an 8-9 point game early in the fourth quarter, which I was happy to see that type of fight from the team. And at the same time, was I was happy to see the fact that I felt like in that game, we did execute really well on the offensive end of the floor and got a lot of good shots. I just didn't make them. Um, and, and that's kind of, at times, the name of the game. You know, shots just aren't going to fall, and you still need to find a way to win. But it was it was nice to see the kids at least execute well on the offensive end of the floor in spite of our inability to knock down shots on that night. 
So when you when you look at the fact that you know this team has has obviously been working your Oswego State Lakers women's basketball team to improve and, and to move forward and to find some success here, you know, overall four and seven at the time we're talking one and three in the conference, but obviously the conference hopes are, are very much alive and getting this team above 500 to 500 and above is in front of you as well with a bunch of games left to go. Just what you could say about, you know, what, what they've shown you from day one when you walk through the door to what they're showing you right now. Has there been steady progress? Has it been ebb and flow up and down? How have you kind of gauged the way that things have gone so far in your first season there? Yeah, I think over the course of the season, there's always some natural ebb and flow, but at the same time, I, I think it's trending in the direction of some, some steady progress. Um, but the area that I've been most focused on is just offensive execution and efficiency. I think that's um, been an area of difficulty in the past. Um, you know, and, and two areas that I think are really significant with regard to that the last three games that we've played are three fewest turnovers on the season. Um, and then those last three games, two out of those three games, we shot the ball really well. The third game, we took 72 shots. We just couldn't make any. Um, and so I really felt like those last three games, the efficiency on the offensive end of the floor, the attention to detail within the offense to create good looks, um, doing a good job valuing the basketball and limiting our turnovers, I think we've done, we've shown market improvement in those areas, and that's been our primary focus and a lot of our talking points with the team uh, throughout that first semester. And as you move forward here, speaking with Sean Pinkerton, head coach of the Oswego State Lakers women's basketball team, you're going to have uh, your next game coming up here, next couple be on the road for January 5th and January 6th, and then you're coming home. And I know that there's been a, a long road stint, but you'll have the opportunity to be in front of the Oswego fans at Magzeal Gymnasium on January 12th, 13th, 16th, and 20th before you head back on the road. What are you most looking forward to? I know, obviously, being home is being home, but what are you excited about with getting this program and, and what you're trying to do with this program in front of the fans in Oswego in just a little while and, you know, just uh, about a, a little over a week or so? Yeah, I think it's, it's great for us because, I mean, we start off in conference play with five of our six, five of our first six conference games on their own. So just to get back home, I mean, it's a little bit different environment because we are on winter break. Um, and, and so you don't have as many people on campus, but I think it's important for our team, for the girls to, it's a different routine when you're at home on game day, as opposed to being on the road. Um, it's, it's a different comfort level. You know, you sleep in your own bed the night before the game, you know, it's just, you're in your own routine when you're on the road. It varies based on where you are. And it's, I think a little bit more difficult to go into the game, um, with, uh, with, a preparation, that's, that's consistent, right? And as athletes, as coaches, we always preach and, and strive for consistency. And so I think it would be nice to be able to be home and, and uh, get a couple conference games, get a stretch of conference games where we're at home. To to look at the SUNYAC and, and what you've gotten a taste of so far, Sean, to look at these, these first four games in conference, what can you say about the level of competition that you faced in the SUNYAC and what your takeaways have been from what you've seen this season? Yeah, it's a very tough conference, very physical conference. Uh, people defend well. Um, you know, the, a lot of good size, a lot of physical play. Uh, I feel like the emphasis within the conference is, is really primarily on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you know, a lot of teams that attack the boards hard to try to turn you over, uh, mix up what they do 
on the defensive end of the floor. We've seen more zone uh, than I think I've personally seen previously in other conferences. Um, but just a variety of what people are running on the defensive end. I, I really feel like, from what I've observed thus far, that that's kind of the emphasis and uh, the calling card within this conference. So when you look at that side of it, when you look at that, you know, kind of keying in on the defensive side, what do you do, you know, as a coach with what you have? You know, some coaches say, this is my plan, and whoever I have is going to fit into this plan. And then other coaches say, listen, I'm going to have a plan, but I'm going to be, you know, fluid to the fact that I'm going to use the best talents of the people that I have to fit this bill. So when you see a highly defensive conference, what can you say on what you can do offensively with this team? And are there some tricks up your sleeve? And, and, and is there kind of this opportunity for you with the stable of talent that you have to kind of push the term a little bit? I know most recently you got up to 91 points against Casanova. Just what your take is on what you can do in this highly defensive conference. Sure. You know, I've always been someone that uh, really feels very strongly the best approach is to um, – best utilize the talents that you have, you know, and it's the responsibility of a coach to take their, take their kids and best position them, um, for, for best put them in a spot that has a high likelihood of success. Right. And so, for example, what I was running last year at St. Catherine university offensively and what we're running defensively for that matter are very, very different from what we're running this year. Um, we just have very, very different personnel sets, very different skill sets. Um, Last year, we were, our, our base offense, our base motion offense was a five-out motion. There's no way in the world I'm running a five-out motion with Rachel Windhausen on the floor, right? She's, you know, she's a great offensive weapon. Rachel scores the ball really well with her back to the basket, but she's, you know, she's not even comfortable 25 feet from the basket. Um, you know, in fact, my assistant coach here at, at Oswego was my starting center at St. Teams. Now, Mari uh, shot 47% from three. Mari was very comfortable 25 feet from the basket. You know, so we're, we alter that. Um, we're running a lot of stuff that's very different from what the girls have run the last several years since I've been in this program. On um, the defensive end of the floor, uh, I, prior to this season, had not coached a single possession of zone defense in three years. Um, I don't think we've played a possession of man offense, and, or I'm sorry, man defense in probably about seven, eight games now. Um, so just trying to identify, that was a big thing for us, for me early on, was really trying to learn these kids and identify their skill sets and get enough opportunity working with them and seeing them on the floor to say, okay, here are some strengths, here are some weaknesses. How do we position them for the highest likelihood of success? And then how do we help them develop and grow so that they're hopefully taking advantage of those opportunities and we hopefully are doing the best job possible of positioning them, putting them in spots where they have the best likelihood of success uh, possible. That coming from Sean Pinkerton, Oswego State Lakers women's basketball head coach and Sean I know you got to get off to a practice here so very quickly in the new year just what you could say you're most excited about in the job that you have and what you're excited about in general I mean 2017 to some people it was a great year to some people hey I'm happy 2018's here but when you move forward into this new year what are you excited about what's on your brain what are you appreciative of as you move forward yeah, you know, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to be us. We go um, to be back close to home where I where I grew up, um, to be close to my family. My son's birthday was the other day, so we had all my family here. It was great that, that we're able to do that now. It's not something that we were able to do while we were out in Minnesota. Um, in terms of the team, you know, standing in the gym yesterday at practice was, was kind of 
consciously realize that I'm getting to a point with this group of girls where I know them pretty well. Um, I care about them a great deal. Uh, and we had some conversations about that at the beginning of the year that I wanted to get to that point with them, but to uh, profess that type of uh, emotion early on would have been insincere because I didn't know them well enough. I hadn't had the opportunity to interact with them, to get to know them, to work with them. Um, so it was kind of really cool the other day to be standing around at practice um, talking with them, asking about how break was, just talking to them about what's going on in their lives outside of basketball for a while and kind of come to the conscious realization that we are becoming pretty close um, as a group and, and myself with them individually. Um, so that's, that's something that I'm very, very much thankful for. That coming from Sean Pinkerton once again. Sean, I appreciate your time and I appreciate having you here on the show. I know that the team has some work to do moving forward. And it, it, like they like they just said right before you were on here, Dave Paziak said, you play the games that are in front of you, you play the teams that are in front of you. And in front of you right now is an opportunity to boost this team in your first year with them. And I know that they're looking forward to it. I know you are too. And I look forward to positive success as we move forward and having you back here on the show. Appreciate it very much, Dan. Thank you. All right, take care, Sean. You too. Thanks. That coming from Sean Pinkerton of the Oswego State Lakers women's basketball program. We will take a fast break, a quick step aside. There is so much for us to discuss, folks. There is so much on the docket. Black Monday happened, and Black Black Monday was New Year's Day. You get how about walking into the new year with your walking papers? Are you kidding me? Well, we're going to discuss that in just a moment. This is a wake-up call. Fast break. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny, USA. For takeout, call 315 315- 474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. Fresh. Better. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrysigLady.com. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. With the bamboo line relaxed fit clothing as well as the athletic fit clothing. DrysigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, command yourself to feel comfortable in Drysig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrysigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. This is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate.
This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513. Or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell him your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to be here with you on the broadcast every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Very, very proud to be here with you five days a week, two hours a day, and very appreciative to have you listen into the show. So thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast. We are continuing here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is the home of the Dan Tortora Special Belgian Waffle Cut in Half, filled with a bacon, egg, and cheese omelet. It is my spin on the breakfast sandwich, and it is available to you every single day of the week. So make sure you come in and get yourself the Dan Tortora Special. And I appreciate everybody that has and everything that we have done with it. The amount that we sell per week is insane. And I want to thank you for that. It's going into its third year, and you've been absolutely positively amazing in all your support for it. So thank you so much, and a big shout-out to each and every single one of you for going out to the Market Diner and grabbing the sandwich, trying it, telling your friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, and having them come out and get it too. So big ups to you and a big thanks to you for building up the sandwich here in the community that I made for you. With that being said, in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner, the next topic up on the menu is Black Monday. Well, here's the thing, folks. 
Black Monday is the Monday immediately following the final game of the regular season, right? Final game, final week, week 17's final day of the regular season, final day of the regular season, week 17, December 31st, this year. So we end the NFL's regular season on the last day of the year. So Black Monday is the first day of the new year. And what a wonderful way to walk into the new year. Hey, we're so happy that you coached our team for the last three years, five years, ten years, whatever it may be. And in order to celebrate 2018, we'd love to send you these walking papers to tell you to get the heck out of here because we're good. Thanks. Black Monday. This is the thing about Black Monday. I'm not even a part of Black Monday. I mean, as a broadcaster, I am in the sense that I talk about it. But thankfully, I'm not a part of the chopping block Black Monday. I don't have to think about, well, I'm an NFL coach and I did this and I did that, but am I going to lose my job? I don't have to be a part of that in respect of being concerned, nervous that something's going to happen. Because you could be a winning coach and get fired. We'll We'll discuss that. So, you know, that's that's something that I'm watching from the outside looking in, but not having to really be concerned with dealing in my personal life. Now, these other people, these coaches, the Ben McAdoo's and the Jack Del, and I know Ben McAdoo was fired earlier and whatever, but the Ben McAdoo's and the Jack Del Rio's and the Chuck Pagano's and, and so on and so forth, when you look at these people, and people in general, you watch the ball drop on New Year's Eve. You wake up New Year's morning, recharged, revitalized, reinvigorated to go out there and to do all the things that you didn't do the year before, to be better to yourself, to be better to others, to be better to the planet, to be better in general. And these gentlemen went into the new year, whether they knew it or not, good, bad, or indifferent, they walked into the new year by getting fired. Welcome 2018. This was my first bit of information. My first. Hopefully your wife kissed you before this happened. Hopefully you played with the kids before this happened. Hopefully you just found out that you won on a scratch-off lottery card or something before this happened because this is one heck of a way to go into the new year one heck of a way to go into the new year and yet black monday is black monday ben mcadoo we knew was gone jack del rio he was sent his walking papers to go into the new year with the oakland raiders chuck pagano was sent his walking papers from the colts going into the new year Jim Caldwell of the Lions was sent his walking papers. John Fox of the Chicago Bears was sent his walking papers. Half of the NFC North will change with a new head coach next season. And this is where we sit. This is where we are. Ben McAdoo, there's no surprise. He was 11 and 5 in 2016-17. He was 2 and 10 last season. And we have on the line with us right now, he listens to the show every day. 
This is a guy who is devout to the show, and he's somebody who is a devout Lions fan as well, entrenched in Central New York. He's been telling me all season long, Jim Caldwell has to go. He cannot be the coach anymore. And so he's listening in right now, and he called into the show, and I appreciate him doing so. And that is John. John, how you doing? Good. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing very well. Now, now your coach of the Detroit Lions went 11-5 and in his first season in 2014-15. Then he went 7-9. and In back-to-back years, he's gone 9-7. and This is the only coach that is being fired this season who had a winning record to end the season. What made Jim Caldwell not the guy, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, I just think that you had multiple seasons where the division was lined up for the taking. You know, no Aaron Rodgers. You start out doing well, and then you let games just slip away. And there's multiple times throughout the year that there were plays that should have been challenged, and he did not challenge them when it could have been a game changer. I mean, and not doing so, those are, my opinion, fireable offenses. And when you look at that, you know, it comes down to, you know, game. And when you're inside of a game, and it was something that Scott Schaefer got critiqued for at Syracuse, it's game management, managing your timeouts, managing, you know, managing when you're going to challenge a play and this and the other. And I know it's different from college to pro, but managing your game, managing, do you throw the flag? Do you not throw the flag? What do you do inside of the game as far as when you call your timeouts? What are you doing for positioning? And, of course, you know, another thing that goes with game planning is having enough guys out on the field to run a play, having nine 11 guys, out man. there. You know, and Nine I, guys. Nine, exactly. Nine. And I know that's something that we discussed. So, you know, I, I think that the probably the, the biggest fireable offense for a coach, obviously you want to win games, but it seems like coaches tend to get fired when they're bad at game management and clock management, and that's something that you brought up. Yeah, so, I mean, here's where I'm coming from. You bring in Bob Quinn from the Patriots, a winning pedigree, you know. He comes in with the mentality of over there. Um, worked with Belichick, uh, wants to bring, you know, winning to Detroit, because Detroit, we all know, haven't had that in a long time. Um, so to have a, a winning record as far as a coach for the Detroit Lions, he might be... I can't remember the last time a coach left and had a winning record for Detroit, but they're not going to settle for mediocrity anymore. They think that they have the pieces and they can put them together to make a push in the playoffs. And I think that's where, you know, Bob Quinn's kind of drawing the line. Yeah, and as we look at this now, you know, no matter what happens, they have to improve some things with Detroit. You have Matty Stafford, and, and you know that Matt Stafford is going to be a strong guy for this team, and, and obviously your quarterback. But your quarterback can only do so much and needs a little bit of help from that rushing attack. Even Tom Brady has Deion Lewis and company, Rex Burkhead and whatnot, to help him out. For rushing, when it comes to Detroit, Amir Abdullah, it's been three seasons. He has not been healthy for a full 16 games in any of those seasons. Theo Riddick will play injured, but ultimately that takes him out. This Dwayne Washington has been nothing since he came onto the team. Zach Zenner, not going to give you anything. He's your fourth string guy. So let's look at rushing. You're a Detroit Lions fan. What do you want to see out of a running back? 
And are you ready to say goodbye to all these people? Do you keep one or two of them and say, let's just draft a, a big bodied guy and, and let's go with them? What do you want to happen as you move forward? Because obviously this is a glaring issue for the team. Well, I think, first of all, you have to keep Theo Riddick. You know, he's your third down back. He's the best receiving back that you have. Um, I would give, uh, I know it's kind of crazy to say, but I would honestly give Amir one more year to prove it, that he can be a game changer. Um, Other than that, you need a powerful guy. You need a guy, like I said last year, I know he didn't do too much this year, but LeGarrette Blunt, he was right there. For you guys to take, you could have brought him in, but they had they didn't they didn't want him. How many times on the goal line did they get stopped? And if they had a big back, could have pushed the pile, and it could have changed games. Caldwell could have kept his job. I mean, these are th- I think you got to bring in a powerful back. Yeah, I think there needs to be something of that sorts for this team moving forward. I don't think that they can keep the running back situation the same. I mean, when you look at and I know that you know Johnny has has sent messages to the show throughout, and you could do the same by becoming a member on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Only members can send messages in the live chat room that opens up every time the live feed is on 9 to 11 a.m. Monday through Friday, Eastern Time. Marvin Jones Jr., Golden Tate, Kenny Galladay, these are all good guys. I mean, these are, these are strong guys. Kenny wasn't healthy for the entire season, but... Kenny adds some value as a rookie. He'll be going into his sophomore season. Golden Tate's had a better year, in my opinion, than he's ever had with Detroit. And Marvin Jones Jr., he was supposed to be the number two guy in Cincinnati to A.J. Green. He ends up being the guy in Detroit with nine touchdowns this season to lead the team. Receiving-wise, you got to be happy. Quarterback-wise, you got to be happy. So, you know, you, you bolster up the running game. You get a coach in there that, that can lead this team a little bit better because I know you were frustrated with that defensively do you want to see any any changes anything from them uh defensively um i think we got we got a good linebacker in uh, jared davis out of florida this year i mean he's going to have his growing pains as a rookie but i feel that he's a good run stopper um to be honest I, we need another guy opposite of darius slay um i'd say you know second or third to go on the opposite side but Losing uh, Haloti Nada would killed us this year. I mean, as soon as he went out, teams knew you could attack the inside. And once you attack a team from the inside and you get success, then you can kill them outside with a play action and crosses over the middle and what have you. Um, so you need need another guy next to Ashawn Robinson. So I, I I feel the defensive line and then at least you know a decent corner to go opposite of Darius Slay because he came into his own this year. Do you feel somewhat vindicated while I have you on the live line here on Wake Up Call, Johnny? Do you feel somewhat better despite not going to the playoffs, despite the Atlanta Falcons game and the Golden Tate touchdown, not touchdown, that this team is moving forward without Jim Caldwell? Because the the concern was that Jim Caldwell was going to be there no matter what. And I don't wish bad on this guy or anything personally, nothing to that. But something wasn't working in Detroit. So do you feel some type of vindication that you're going to have a new coach? I, I, you know, I do. Um, this season was a disappointment. Um, it kind of started in training camp when we lost uh, Eric Decker. Or not Eric Decker, but uh, Taylor Decker. 
and um, that kind of had a snowball effect. And later on in the uh, in the season, you know, I said I want to call well gone because you know it's not that he's not a good coach. Um, he'll get a job somewhere else. I I believe relatively quick. I mean, he had a winning record, um, brought us to the playoffs two out of four years, but to make the move to get rid of the coach to basically, you know, Quinn put his foot down and said, listen, this has to stop. Um, it's now Bob Quinn's era. Like, what is he going to bring in? Now we get to see what kind of GM we have. So, I mean, it is. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see what happens. Well, you know, a guy that used to be with the Patriots, make that phone call to a couple of those Patriots assistant coaches and, Rack their brain. See if they want to coach Matt Stafford. See if they want to coach this team with the talent that's on it and to make some moves in the draft. What we do know is they won't be having the first or the fourth pick because those belong to the Cleveland Browns. But besides that, that's right, Johnny, I appreciate, as always, you know, you being a part of the show and listening into the broadcast. And I know that you're a very passionate man, and I know that this day means something to you because it means a new chapter and a new era for the Detroit Lions. So it seemed only fitting to to have you on here so i'm happy that you called in i appreciate it i appreciate it and i'm gonna say one thing i think that the head coach will be if i can call it okay go ahead mike vrabel defensive coordinator to the texans i think it's gonna be him mike vrabel all right we'll see what happens johnny johnny said it here on wednesday january 3rd we'll see if you're right johnny Either right, way, roll tide, roll tide, roll tide. Roll some tide, baby. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> I'll see you, buddy. Take care. That coming from Johnny, longtime listener to the show, and he's a massive Detroit Lions fan. So I'm thankful that he called into the show today because he knew we were talking about it. He started writing some things here on the live feed on mixlr.com backslash wake up call DT. And, you know, it was nice to it was nice to have him come on and, and lend a voice to this. So Appreciate it, Johnny, and appreciate you as always, as you know that. Well, Jim Caldwell, like I said, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, he struggled. When Tony Dungy handed the team over to Jim Caldwell, Caldwell was 14-2, 10-6, right? I mean, he literally had the talent, and I know the guys were older and injuries and this, that, and the other, but he handed him over this team in the Indianapolis Colts, Dungy to Caldwell, and the team progressively fell apart. And, or I should say regressed and, but I mean, progressively, you know, move forward in a downward spiral. I guess that makes sense. And then Detroit 11 and five in his first year and then seven and nine, nine and seven, nine and seven. After that, this is a team that has not gotten it done. And this was the year to do it. This was the year to make a splash. This was the year to make it happen. Who would have thunk that Minnesota Vikings without Delvin Cook and Sam Bradford were going to even make the playoffs? Let alone, I said the way that they looked at the beginning of the season, they could be a Super Bowl competing team. Now, the funny thing is, if they compete in the Super Bowl, they're going to be home. And I think the Super Bowl is set up like, yeah, okay, Minnesota's going to play at home. But they could. And they're such a strong unit that I thought at the beginning of the year with everybody healthy that this was going to be a team that could compete for the NFC side of the Super Bowl. I never thought that Case Keenum, a guy who I put some faith in when he was with Houston, was going to come back and do all of this. And kudos to Minnesota coming out of the NFC North. I mean, they they had this thing from day zero, 
it felt like. When you look back on it, I mean, they just came out charging and flying, and they made one or two mistakes, and that was it. So Green Bay loses Aaron Rodgers. Chicago is awful. This was Detroit's time to say, okay, we're not going to win the, the division, but we got to be better than Atlanta, and we got to be better than Seattle, and we got to be better than Carolina. We can, we can do this. Losing to the Cincinnati Bengals doesn't cut that. And when you lose to the Cincinnati Bengals in the Marvin Lewis era of confusion, you're not going to be a happy fan. And I understand that, you know, Bob Quinn probably knew that and said, okay, we have to make a change. And that's exactly what he's doing. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make a phone call to a Patriot. But Johnny thinks Mike Vrabel's going to be the guy. We're going to see what happens. But Jim Caldwell out. The only coach to be fired on Black Monday that had a winning record this season. Next up here that we can discuss, John Fox. Wasn't John Fox a, a pretty good coach at times with Carolina, right? He won at least 11 games three times. 11 and 5 in 2003 and 4, 11 and 5 in 2005, 6, 12 and 4 in 2008, 9. Then he went to the Broncos, went 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 12 and 4 consecutively. His worst season in Denver was 8 and 8. Then 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 12 and 4. He goes to Chicago. Why would you? I don't know. 6 and 10, 3 and 13, 5 and 11. But again, who's going to turn Chicago around? Who's going to be the guy that makes Chicago better? I think Chicago's had some good coaches. I think John Fox is a good coach. I will never understand why he took this job. Because it made no sense to me. Because why would you? Why would you take this job? As a coach, in your right brain, why would you take this job? Knowing that you're going to struggle. They don't have the defense that they used to have. They don't have the offensive prowess that they that they had. They do not have the days of punch you down, drag out, Chicago Bears, I don't want to play them. In this, I don't want to go onto their cold field and get smacked around by this team anymore. I don't want that. You used to have concern when you played Chicago. You used to go to Chicago with a game that you needed to get into the playoffs and said to yourself, this team could hold us out. This is not going to be an easy game. You go to Chicago now to pad your stats. That's what you go to Chicago for. You don't go to Chicago feeling like, oh my God, I'm going to lose a game. Now, I will tell you, on the weekend of my birthday, I picked Chicago to beat Carolina because I had a dream about it. I literally had a dream about it. I mean, I'm not kidding you on this in any stretch of the imagination. I had a dream about it. And that's the crazy thing. So I went I went for my dream. I went after what my dream was, and I said, okay, I'm going to trust it. But nine times out of ten that you play Chicago in recent history, who's afraid? Who's scared of Chicago? Nobody. And Chicago has had some good coaches as of late. They've had some good coaches. 
Mark Tressman, who came from the CFL, he's a damn good CFL coach, and he did a lot of great things up there. He did a lot of great things up there. But he was given about 14 seconds to do the job and then see you later. That was it. Lovey Smith was there forever and a day. And Lovey Smith, as time went on, he lost the talent and they didn't gain it. When you are a when you're a good coach and a good GM and a good owner, you come together, you get in your draft room, you sit with one another, you sit in free agency, you sit with, with player trades and you have these meetings. You make moves. Why is Jacksonville good right now? Why is Jacksonville so good right now? I've been telling you for the past four years that they have been building through the draft. Then I said to you, wow, Malik Jackson, that's not a bad pickup. A.J. Boye, Malik Jackson, Marcel Darius, Calais Campbell, all of these people, all of these names moves. Barry Church moves. Josh Lambeau, we need a kicker. We're going to go get this guy that hasn't been working. We're going to trust in him. The Jacksonville Jaguars have a coach and a GM and the exact, I mean, you got Tom Coughlin in the building. You have people that sit down and met with each other, made decisions together to move forward as a unit to do good things. Why is Jacksonville good? Because they made good decisions. Because they planned for the future. Because they're not just saying, oh, well, we're so happy we have Paul Pluslesny. This is such a great thing for us. Tayshawn Gibson. Somebody, uh, one of the fans just made a note here, Tayshawn Gibson, another guy that they like. But when you look at Jacksonville, like I was saying, they're not looking at Paul Puzlesny and saying, well, we just hope that this guy literally lives forever. We hope that he never gets hurt and he plays till he's 58 years old. It's not going to happen. So what do they do? They, have te- they go and draft Telvin Smith and then they pay Telvin Smith. And they say, Telvin, stay with us. They get Miles Jack and say, Miles Jack, stay with us. You're young. You've only been with us a very short amount of time. They're building for the future while they have the gem. While they have the guy who is, thank God, up above that Paul Puzlesny has been this healthy, strong horse that has just done great things in the NFL. But they're building for the future and they're planning for the future. You take a line that was number one in the country, a defense that was number one in the country with Malik Jackson and Calais Campbell and Dante Fowler Jr. and company. And what did you do? You added Marcel Darius. Jacksonville could have easily been complacent. And at first I was like, why would you shake this up? Why would you bring in a new guy to this mix? Because everything's good right now. And you know what? They proved me wrong. They brought in an extra piece to a defense that was already good and made it better. What does that take? Research. Research. Having a front office that does the research and their due diligence and works together to build for the future. Chicago has not been building for the future. When they lost their key ingredients on defense, when they lost the Charles Tillmans and the Brian Erlackers of the world, of the wor- of the world and, and the Julius Peppers, there was no plan. There was no plan moving forward. It was, let's take these guys for as long as we got them. Let's enjoy these guys for as long as we got them. 
And the day that they leave our team, well, that's going to suck for us. But where was the planning? Chicago did not plan for the loss of Julius Peppers. They did not plan for the loss of Brian Urlacher. They did not plan for the loss of Charles Tillman. They did not plan, and Mark Tressman was fired because of it. And John Fox was fired because of it. I don't think Mark Tressman's a terrible coach, and I don't think the NFL should have given him a half a second to prove himself. Nor do I think that John, Fo John Fox is a bad coach. But I don't know why John Fox would leave. You're in Denver, and you have won 38 games to 10 losses. 38 wins, 10 losses in three years. Why the hell would you leave? Almost 75% of the time you're winning. Why would you leave? So he goes to Chicago, and Chicago, I would, I would not go to Chicago. I would not go to Chicago. He was 14 and 34 in Chicago. But I wonder how many coaches would have made that better. Everybody's talking about John Gruden now. I don't think John Gruden was going to turn around Chicago. Or Bill Cowher. Take anybody. I don't know if, if that was going to if that was going to change Chicago. I think Chicago's had a very, very tough go at it for the last few seasons because there was a lack of planning, a lack of preparation. Now, I will give them credit for bringing in Adam Shaheen at tight end. He's done... Some good things for them out of Ashland when he's been healthy. Look at this. They drafted Adam Shaheen in the second round from Ashland. How many people, raise your hand, knew that that was a school? Let alone a town in America. Probably none of you. In the fourth round, 119th overall, they draft Tariq Cohen from North Carolina A&T. How many people knew who Tariq Cohen was or that North Carolina A&T existed? Exactly. Exactly. They draft Jordan Howard in the fifth round out of Indiana the year before. So they made some good moves with that. But what did they do to bolster up their defense last year, or this year in the draft of 2017? Nothing. They got Eddie Jackson, a safety out of Alabama. That was it. What have they done to prepare defensively? You're playing Aaron Rodgers twice a year. You're playing Matt Stafford twice a year. And whether it's Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, or Bob the Builder, Minnesota's winning games, you got to play them twice a year. So, you know who Chicago should draft? Defensive back after defensive back after defensive back and linebacker and defensive end and defensive tackle... Do what you need to do to prepare yourself for the future. Now, you drafted a lot of defense in 2016, but nothing to show for it. Little to nothing to show for it. So do what you can to get the veterans that you can that may become available, like Jacksonville did. And don't focus on offense right now. 
You got Tariq Cohen and you got Jordan Howard, but who in the hell is blocking for them? Sometimes they have great games. Sometimes they look like they didn't even play the game. Mitch Trubisky, don't take this guy and say that he sucks. Don't give him no credit for what he did this season, okay? He had seven interceptions, which is awful, and seven touchdowns, but he's a rookie, okay? And let me remind everybody, go back to Peyton Manning's rookie season. The team was atrocious. I'm not saying that Mitch is Peyton Manning. I'm saying in the first season, normally rookie quarterbacks are not phenoms. Every once in a while, you find a gem. Deshaun Watson wasn't bad when he was healthy, but they struggle. And Mitch is going to struggle. And now they move forward. But they need to draft defense. And if you're not drafting your secondary, you're stupid. If I'm playing Matt Stafford and Aaron Rodgers, it obviously didn't work this year. So what's on my team is not going to stop these gentlemen which means that I need to do better. So do better. We'll take a step aside and we'll continue the conversation on Black Monday in just a moment. This is a wake-up call fast break. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalwear, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formal Wear. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice when buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your event, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. 
Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to have you here on the broadcast inside of the morning menu, proudly presented by the Macadina on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny USA. Do what so many people are doing and try the Dan Tortora special. And when you do it, shoot me a picture on Twitter at CallDT or Facebook at WakeUpCallDT. And thank you to everybody that has, and thank you for voting us Top five sandwiches in Central New York because you're awesome. So shout out to that and shout out to Q's Cheap on Twitter for running the contest to decide the uh, top five in Central New York. And for all of you that appreciate the Dance Tour special, I appreciate you for it. So thank you very much. Continuing the conversation of Black Monday, which just so happened to be January 1st this year. Nothing like walking into a new year with new hopes and new dreams to be told that you're fired. So <laughs> it's just terrible. It's ridiculous. We spoke about John Fox. We move on to Chucky Pagano. Chuck Pagano. Now, and this is the thing about Chuck Pagano. This is insane. Chuck Pagano, you know, went through uh, physical ailments and being sick. And this team, I mean, he had cancer. He missed 12 games due to cancer treatment just a few years ago. And he became this beautiful story and how, how people loved him and respected him, and look at his fight, and he's overcoming it, and God bless him, turns into some Colts fans saying, when are you going to fire this guy? Now, he was 11-5, and and 11-5, and and then 8-8, eight and eight, and then 8-8, eight and eight, and then 4-12. and 12. Well, if he follows the bouncing ball that he's had, he would be 4-12 and 12 next year, because he doubles up. 11-5, and 11-5, and five, then dip, 8-8, eight and 8-8, eight, eight and eight, then dip, 4-12, and 12, and he would be 4-12 and 12 again, if he followed his pattern. Now, He's had to deal with injuries to Andrew Luck. He's also had to deal with the fact that Andrew Luck hasn't been that great of a football player and a quarterback in recent history. Andrew Luck, to me, is becoming more exposed when it comes to being able to kind of realize his tendencies and what you need to do. I don't think Andrew Luck, I think when he came into the NFL, he was a strong quarterback. I think right now, I don't see that. You know, I see a guy who had 23 touchdowns to 18 interceptions in 2012-13. He turned that into 23 touchdowns to 9 interceptions. Same amount of touchdowns cut his interceptions in half the next season as a sophomore. Then he had 40 touchdowns to 16 interceptions, and then 15 touchdowns, 12 interceptions in 2016, 31 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Not too shabby. He found his way back up a little bit, but the team still struggled. And then in 2017, he didn't play. So, he missed an entire season. Now, health-wise, he was healthy for his first three seasons. Then he played seven games in 2015-16, 15 out of 16 in 2016-17, and played no games this season. None. So, in three years combined, he's played 22 regular season games. 22 regular season games compared to the 48 available. He's played in less than 50% of the games that the Colts have had in the last three years. So that's a big question mark for me. That's a big question mark for me in what he's going to do moving forward. And he's been an interception machine in the postseason. 
He threw six touchdowns to seven interceptions in 2013-14. Three touchdowns to four interceptions in 2014-15. 11 interceptions to nine touchdowns. If you add in 2012-13, he had no touchdowns and one interception. So 12 interceptions to nine touchdowns. To me, when you look at his injuries and you couple that with the blemishes of throwing interceptions, I know that Andrew Luck's numbers got better in 2016-17, but I don't know if this is my franchise quarterback that I can rely on. I don't know if this is the guy that's trending up for me. And as much as he had a better year last season, he finished the season throwing at least one interception in three of his last four games. And in five of his last six. And he never went consecutive games without throwing an interception. Never. In 2016-17. Even though he had 30 touchdowns and 13 interceptions in 2016-17, he never went multiple games consecutively without throwing an interception. He started this he he started the season off with no interceptions and then three games in a row with an interception and then one without and then one with and then one without and then three with and then one without and then one with and then one without and then two with. He only had out of 16 or 15 games that he played in Five games that he didn't throw an interception. A third of the time that he played in 2016-17, he threw an interception. A third of the time. That's not good. That's not good numbers. Not for your starting quarterback. Maybe your backup. If we're if you're telling me that's Jacoby Brissett's numbers as your third string guy, okay. I'm not I'm not offended. I'm not upset. I can take that. But when it's my starter. A third of the time throwing an interception, and I can't count on him going from week 13 to week 14 without throwing a pick? Heck no. So between injuries and consistently throwing interceptions, I think Chuck Pagano was affected by the lack of strong play by Andrew Luck. And I think that this was a drafting issue as well. I think protecting the quarterback was an issue. I mean, they talked about how Jacoby Brissett got hit early. I think Marlon Mack is a good future back once Frank Gore retires. The rookie out of South Florida. I think he's good. I think that Indy has a lot to look at, though, right now, and I'm going to take a look at Indianapolis in this moment as I'm here with you on the air to take a look at what they have as far as their team goes with taking a look at their statistics. Because the Colts right now have some decisions to make. And they're going to have to figure out where they want to move from here. Frank Gore is not going to be in the NFL forever. Marlon Mack had the same amount of touchdowns as Frank Gore and half the yardage. Less than half the yardage. And they had the same yards per attempt, pretty much. How about this? Frank Gore went 961 yards. Marlon Mack went 358. But they both averaged around 3.7, 3.8 yards per carry. And they both had three rushing touchdowns. And Marlon Mack's a rookie. So tell me that you're not passing the torch right now. You are. 
Jack Doyle was their best receiver, and that's their tight end. That's a very big problem. Dante Moncrief has got to stay healthy. He's been up and down. T.Y. Hilton's been up and down. And granted, he's had to play with three different quarterbacks, but still. It's been a quest. I don't think that you get rid of T.Y. Hilton. And I don't know if you get rid of Dante Moncrief. Maybe you do. But you got to draft somebody or you got to make some moves in free agency. Because your best wide receiver being your tight end is not good. It's not. Kudos to Jack Doyle. It's not good for the team in its entirety. Because you should have at least one receiver that's going to make it happen. Jack Doyle had more catches than anybody on the team. He's the most trusted receiver on the team. He had 23 more catches than T.Y. Hilton. 23. But Kamar Aiken, Brandon Williams, Quan Bray, Darrell Daniels, Chester Rod- this isn't going to cut it. They have to make moves. When Peyton Manning was really good, they had a one-two punch. They had Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison. They need to get a one-two punch. Reggie Wayne handed the torch to T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton doesn't have anybody to share this with. So draft-wise, they're going to have to go after a wide receiver. I don't know if they don't go after a quarterback. I don't know if you don't go after a quarterback. Why not? I don't think Andrew Luck is your future. I don't think he's your next three to four years. So maybe it's time to look for a quarterback. And be smart about how you move forward. Because the Colts have the third pick. And if you're not going to get a quarterback, then get an offensive line. Do something in that respect to bolster your team up. Because help in multiple areas is needed with the Colts. The Colts have been trending downward and falling off the precipice for a while. But this year, they finally completely dropped off. And inevitably... Jacksonville got better, and so did Tennessee, but the writing was on the wall for that. Houston's only been winning the division because Jacksonville and Tennessee have been underperforming. It's not because Houston's a great team. It's because they've been underperforming. Houston was the best team in a bad division. Now that division's a pain in the butt because Jacksonville's going to continue to trend up if they keep doing what they're doing, and so is Tennessee. So Houston's going to have to struggle for a spot, and Indy's going to be fourth because Indy has the most work to do. Houston's made some good moves. Houston has Deshaun Watson. I would rather trust Deshaun Watson right now in my offense than Andrew Luck. Because at least I know that Deshaun can take off and run. If he needs to. So the firing of Chuck Pagano, unfortunately, yes, his records have gone down. And at the same time, I feel that bad moves have been made by the front office. And what does the front office do when bad moves are made? They keep their jobs, they fire their head coach. And then when they don't keep it going, then... They get fired. That's what happens. To take a look at the former Jaguars head coach, continuing on here in Black Monday Talk on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Happy to be here with you. I want to make an update here. The Jaguars are not going to be practicing Blake Bortles, Marquise Lee, Donald Payne, Lorente McRae, Cam Robinson, Alan Hearns, Mercedes Lewis, and Aubrey Jones today. They will not be they will not be practicing. They're on the injury report today. Not expected to practice. Just so you know, going into the game against Buffalo, and LaShawn McCoy is said to eat whether he plays or doesn't play will most likely not be 100%. So, that was put out today and so just kind of keep your eye on that. 
the former Jaguars head coach took over the Oakland Raiders after, and this is the thing that, conf- now this is the thing that's really, really funny to me. This is really, really funny to me. Jack Del Rio was literally a middle of the road coach in Jacksonville. His win-loss record was 68 wins to 71 losses. He was literally that guy that like rode the equator the entire time. When he got fired and then the Raiders scooped him up and hired him, that was the year that Doug Marone threw his name out there and said, screw the Bills, I want, I'm going to get a head coaching job somewhere else because there's at least five openings and everybody wants me. And he found out really quick that that wasn't the case. How ironic and how comedic is that to say that Doug Marone put himself out there and they gave Jack Del Rio the job instead of Doug Marone and a bunch of other people locked up jobs instead of Doug Marone. And now Doug is in the playoffs after biding his time with the Jaguars and Jack Del Rio is without a job. When Jack Del Rio got hired as the Oakland Raiders, I was like, Doug's not going to get hired this year. Because if, if you're setting the bar there. Now, granted, the Raiders were 7-9 and nine in his first season, then 12-4. and four, And then it wasn't his fault. They lost Derek Carr to go into the playoffs. And they lost. They lost to Houston. They should have never lost that game. But they didn't have Derek Carr. Then they go 6-10 and 10 this year when they have Derek Carr. And they bring in Marshawn Lynch, which was a bad decision because Marshawn Lynch, I can only imagine, is a pain in the butt to deal with because he doesn't care. Marshawn Lynch has... I don't know Marshawn Lynch personally, and I've never interviewed him, but he seems like a guy who is out for Marshawn Lynch. He makes decisions that seem to only be about Marshawn Lynch. How you treat officials, what you say in post-game press conferences, and this, that, and the other. It doesn't seem to be, I care about the Raiders. It seems to be, I care about myself. So again, some decisions made by the Raiders didn't do any favors for Jack Del Rio. But Jack of the River, which his name translates to in Spanish, is that guy that I just didn't think... I don't see him as, after what he did in Jacksonville, for as long as he was in Jacksonville, I didn't see why another team immediately would go, we have to hire this guy. Gotta be on our team right now. I couldn't see it. And apparently, the Raiders couldn't see it anymore. Now, Michael Crabtree was their best receiver. Amari Cooper did okay. He was off and on this year. Very quiet at times. Jared Cook came on very late. I thought he was going to come on a lot earlier based on the way that he was playing in the preseason. Seth Roberts did some good things for them. DeAndre Washington really didn't give anything to him. Marshawn Lynch, pretty awful for like the entire first part of the season. So, could they get better at running back? Absolutely. Could they add one more rookie wide receiver that will at least command the defense to be somewhat focused on them when Crabtree and Cooper are running around? Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper should be one of the top five wide receiver tandems in the NFL. They should be. (laughs) Yet they're not. And I think, you know, when you look at management for a coach, 
that's when things happen. And we have a caller on the line right now. Who's who's calling in? Who do we have here? Good morning. It's uh, Jim Roberts. How you doing? Jim, and, and see, Jim, Jim was in my fantasy football league this year. Jim won the fantasy football league this year and pissed off his brother because now his brother has to hear it all the way up until next season, and that trophy is going to be going to Jim very soon. Jim, you're a Jaguars fan. I'm talking, Absolutely. I'm, I'm talking Jack of the River right now. Yeah, and, Jack of the River's up the river. Yeah, he is. And, I mean, I'm not surprised, but how strange is it for you to to see, you know, the, the Doug Marone character that, that nobody wanted to hire a few seasons ago is now taking the Jags into the playoffs, and Jack Del Rio, who they had fired just a few seasons ago that was snatched up immediately, is now without a job. I mean, the NFL is a very strange enigma and the, the guy that just didn't fit all of a sudden fits now. How how crazy is that for you that Doug Marone wasn't the guy and now now he's the guy? It's absolutely crazy, honestly. I, th- I think it's also important to note that the front office uh, moves that were made in Jacksonville were very important. Tom Coughlin is going to be a great executive. He, he has shown that he's very capable and he just he was just frustrated in New York. But uh, Doug Marone... Didn't see it coming, to be honest, but Jack Del Rio always kind of knew he was, like, lukewarm, so I kind of could see that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and when we look at where we stand right now, you know, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're going into the playoffs. They have a home game for the first time in a very, very, very long time. First home game in the playoffs in 17 years. First playoff game in a decade the last time that they were home for the playoffs was January of 2000. So, you know, my first question to you is, did you scramble to buy tickets like the other almost 70,000 people? If I had the money, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm so excited. I actually was just reading up on it the other day. Uh, the city of Jacksonville issued a temporary ordinance to ban the sale of folding tables to kind of hinder the Bills Mafia, so I, I'm a big fan of that too. Yeah, and you and you look at little things like that 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 they do to kind of playfully approach this. But you know, again, with the NFL being this strange yet beautiful treasure, as long as I've been a broadcaster, which is now almost 15 years, I have continuously seen the irony of the NFL, the irony of sports in general, and how things just always find their way back to one another. Doug Marone, in that same fashion, is playing up against the team, coaching up against the team, that was the last time he was a head coach. His stint in Buffalo and now being in Jacksonville, the last place he was before coming to sunny Florida was Buffalo, New York. And that's the team that he has to get past in order to get the Jaguars a win in the playoffs in the first time that they've played in the playoffs in a decade. What do you think about that? I couldn't be happier about it, especially since we uh, acquired Marcel Darius. I think that's kind of like a New England acquiring James Harrison kind of move. Uh, also, I I think that uh, Marone just knows how to get the best out of Darius because he had a career year when Marone was coaching with the Bills, and uh, I think he just doesn't really put up with his nonsense. So I, I think it's it's great. I love the story. I love the hype around it. I love the fact that both of these teams have been 
in a playoff drought for so long and then improbably, uh, especially in the Bills' case, I mean, we let's be honest, we both saw Jacksonville coming. Yeah. But uh, in the Bills' case, I, I didn't expect that at all. I thought we were going to be playing the Ravens. But uh, I, I love it. I'm so excited, and especially, especially uh, knowing that Shady isn't 100%. Well, and, and that's that's a big part of it because the offense runs through LaShawn McCoy. Last year, Jacksonville, and it was crazy. I was up at the game in Buffalo, and Jacksonville playing up against the Bills had kind of been out of it, fought their way back into it. Chris Ivory goes down with an injury during the game. Alan Hearns goes down with an injury during the game, and ultimately they lose the game at the end, a game that I thought that Jacksonville should have definitely won last year. But this year's team has been different, and the way that they've gone about their business and how they've handled things has been different, and I give a lot of credit to the way that they have moved forward in their season. They're 10-6 and six th- this year. They were 3-13 and 13 last year, seven-game improvement, and to see how they played, even at home, what they did at home to win their games. They started out 0-2, then they came back home and beat the Texans, beat the Seahawks, beat the Colts, and beat the Chargers, and then you look at and the and the win over the Bengals. They went from 0-2 at home to 5-0. They won in London 44-7 against the Baltimore Ravens. And obviously they've shown that they could play on the road. So, you know, this is this is a big opportunity for them. As a Jaguars fan, I'm gonna ask you, Jimmy, who do you give the most credit to? Is it Tommy Coughlin? Is it Doug Marone? Is it Nate Hackett, the offensive coordinator? Is it the defense? Is it everybody? How do you kind of gauge Khan. this? Shad Khan. Okay, go ahead with that. I feel like he uh, he took over the team and wanted to change the culture, so he he made very savvy business decisions. He he made those key acquisitions, like you were talking about AJ Boye, Malik Jackson, Clay's Campbell, and in the draft, like last year's draft was absurd. I never thought we would get Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack in the same round. No, and, and the thing is, you know, Jalen Jalen Ramsey was that guy that kind of fell there to the Jaguars. And Miles Jack, everybody thought they're going to get him in the first round. They get Ramsey, and then they pull off Jack in the second round. Phenomenal drafting by them, and it was a move that was giving them kudos. I mean, this is a team that's been doing very well in the draft in the last four seasons and, and definitely in the last couple seasons to bring the players that they brought in. Before I let you go, Jimmy, as a Jags fan here on the Wake Up Call Live line, to look at what Blake Bortles has done. So many people wanted his head, and I was in Jacksonville doing these games at Everbank Field while I'm posting on Twitter during the game. I'm seeing fans just trend Blake Bortles, get rid of this guy, fire this guy. He's awful. He's atrocious. He's the vein of our existence. He's he's a terrible, terrible, ter- he's the worst part of our team. 3-13 and 13 last year, 10-6 and six this year with the exact same quarterback, Nate Hackett, the offensive coordinator, who has spent three years with him. He was on my show just a few weeks ago, and Nate said, listen, Blake Bortles in four years in the NFL has had three different offenses in four years. 75% of the time, he's getting, he's having to learn something new and something different. What do you think about Blake And in a situation where Jacksonville said, let's give him one more year, and the team went from 3-13 and 13 to 10-6? and six. I knew he wasn't the problem. Obviously, statistics and wins will show you that he wasn't. What did you take from so many Jacksonville hopefuls saying it's time to get rid of Blake Bortles? Well, I think he puts up uh, 
big numbers. He, like his yardage totals are very impressive. I just think that his ability to give away games in key moments is uncanny. Like last week with the Titans, like what, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, like I was I was on the phone with my brother actually, and I was streaming the game on Reddit, and he he said interception like six seconds before it happened. I was like. I saw Blake Bortles drop back. I was like, "No, like you can't be talking about this game right now." And then, and then, turned out he he was. <laughs> so, I mean, I just think that he either needs to watch more film or like get a. I don't know. He just he needs to take his time and not force throws. And if if a play's not there, just throw it away. Not take a sack or. I don't know. I feel like his decision-making has been flawed sometimes. I don't feel like he's a bad quarterback. But I do feel that Jacksonville should draft a quarterback this year. So you would like to see somebody at least light a fire under his behind? That's what I would like to see, yes. Well, especially, and- especially like a Lamar Jackson or if Baker Mayfield falls due to the loss. Uh, I, I would love to see that, too. I mean, in, in Lamar Jackson's case, I feel like he could run a read option offense and, and kind of be a mobile quarterback that can also throw the ball and have a pocket presence. But it'll be supplemented by our elite run game with Leonard Fournette, Chris Ivory, TJ Yeldon, uh, Tommy Bohannon. And I just feel like if, uh, if there's just competition enough, I, some people might say that uh, we we should go get Eli, and honestly, I don't know how how to feel about that because it seems like all roads are pointing to his decline. But I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll be drinking from the same fountain that youth Brett Favre was if that happens. But <laughs> but I just I don't know. I I'd like to see a little more competition at the quarterback position so he doesn't feel complacent. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's something that, you know, Chad Henney is is a good teacher and he's a he's a good guy and I love talking with him. But we obviously know that his time is numbered and eventually he will retire and the Jaguars will be left without anybody. And I was surprised that with looking at the preseason that they got rid of Brandon Allen because I thought that he was going to be the guy that I mean he he did some good things in the preseason to kind of make Absolutely. you take a step back and say, "Okay, well maybe maybe this young cat is going to, you know, through the draft is going to help out this team a little bit and and push Blake. And, and then with Ryan Nassib coming in, I mean, he's somebody that played under Nate Hacken and Doug Marone in Syracuse. So I thought that was a good decision. He was there for about three seconds. So, you know, they, they, they definitely are going to have to look. I don't know if they do it in the first or the second round, but maybe within the third or the fourth round or, or between two and four, I'm not against you with saying, you know what, bring in somebody else. Because the thing is, not even not even about taking the job away, just sheer injury-wise, there's nobody behind Blake Bortles. And that's going to be an issue moving forward. So do you take your chances and roll the dice on Eli Manning, or do who obviously Tom Coughlin and him are close? Or do you take the opportunity to say, let's go get a young guy. We got Blake going into year five. This guy's going into year one. And just like the Jaguars have been doing, and I've been commending them for, building for the future while the present still has those players is not a bad thing to do, and that's what's made them successful. So, you know, absolutely. I'd like I like to mean, see it happen. 
I feel like uh, signing a rookie contract for a new quarterback talent would be uh, a lot less of a detriment on our cap on our cap space because uh, I think Eli is slated to make uh, ten million plus. Uh, like I don't know the exact figures, but it it wouldn't be I don't I don't think worth it in the long run because. I don't know how many years he has left in the league, but if if you get a new talent with the the new structure of the coaching, and I don't know, I just feel like new talent, new competition could be good. Absolutely. Well, that coming from Jimmy, Jaguars fan here in Central New York. Yes, they do exist. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate your time, and I and I look forward to what's coming up this weekend. Thanks for having me. Pleasure talking to you. Can't spell elite without Eli. I heard that little noise in the background. Can't spell spell elite without Eli. Very nice. Good talking with you. We'll talk with you soon. All right. Take care. So that coming from, man. So I want to thank Jimmy and and Johnny for calling in today and and for all, you know, that, 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 you know, I'm happy that they care about the show and I'm happy that they care enough to call in. And we got Detroit Lions fans, Jaguars fans. Listen, Central New York has fans from every single team. In my opinion, I've seen almost every single jersey there is to see of 32 NFL teams in Syracuse, upstate Central New York, this whole area. So, you know, I got to give it up, and it's nice to meet some Jaguars fans. Covering the Jaguars for nine years and counting, it's nice to see that there's people in Central New York that want to get that info and hear that info and be a part of it. And now all of a sudden, I'm the guy covering the old Syracuse coach playing the Buffalo team that he spurned to try and get a job somewhere else. So now all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of all this Central New York stuff because God is great and this is how the world works because things always find their way back around for people that work to be good people to do good things. I firmly believe that and I live it every day. I try my best to be a good person and I feel like it always comes back some way. And uh, I love that Ecto Cores just puts, are there Bills fans in Central New York? I never see them. You will see them now. Ecto Cores, you will see them now because all those Bills jerseys that were left on the racks of all the stores of Central and Upstate New York will be bought this week because everybody's going to be a Bills fan because Syracuse didn't go to a bowl game and people in Central and Upstate New York want something to cheer on. So everybody's going to be a Bills fan for 15 minutes. And it's the truth. Listen, consult your conscience. If you bought a Bills jersey between... if Okay, put it like this. If you bought a Bills jersey between Sunday and now, you're not a Bills fan. If you bought a Bills jersey between Sunday and now, or Sunday and January 7th, just admit to the world that you're a Packers fan that lives in Central New York. You're a Cowboys fan that lives in Central New York. You're Whatever it may be. You are a Bills fan for 15 minutes. That is what you are. You're a Bills fan for 15 minutes. Because you are just happy. And the thing is, you could be like, well, you know, I was always a Bills fan. What do people tell you? They're like, oh, I'm a Packers fan, but I live in Lafayette and I just... I'm always a Bills fan, but I'm afraid to show people because we never make the playoffs. Listen, the teams that I'm a fan of, I wear their jerseys every single chance I want to wear them. I wear them all the time. Because that is who I am. When you're a fan, you wear your jersey 
when you're three and 13, 10 and six, 12 and four, one and 15, you wear the jersey. You just do. When you're not a fan and you're a rent a fan, I'm just saying, I'm just all the, I'm just saying to all the local businesses, I want them to tell me how much Bill's apparel, how much of it came off the shelf within the last three days. That's all I want to know. That's all I want to know. Johnny said, try Owen 16 and you stay a fan. When you're a fan, you're a fan. And the teams that I'm a fan of in the comfort of my own home, because as a broadcaster, I'm impartial. As a broadcaster, I never want you to listen to the show and be like, oh, I know Dan's a fan of such and such based on what he's saying. That's, that's a cardinal sin of broadcasting. You don't do that. It's a cardinal sin of media. It's a cardinal sin outside of the world of sports and media in general. You don't tell people who to vote for it. Well, everybody broke that sin. Everybody broke that sin. I would have rather have a palm tree go up against a coconut and vote for one of those two. Because I feel like neither one of them would have been a loss significant to what we have right now. Actocores is saying I'm still a fan at 3 and 13. And I just got a message here from Lawrence that said, Go Bills. Nah, dude, wore my Bills all the time. Okay, I'm going to listen. Sometimes, you know, there are Bills fans in Central Upstate New York. There are Bills fans in Central Upstate New York. And Lawrence is one of them. You're one of them. I get that. I'm saying if you bought a Bills shirt, jersey, hat, scarf, mug, whatever, between December 31st and today, consult your conscience on whether or not. Now, you might do it because you're really excited. Now, I know Bills fans, because listen, when I'm a fan of somebody and we continue to do well and whatnot, I'm buying all types of stuff, okay? As a fan, I'm, I'm continuing to buy. But I'm saying if you didn't own a Bills shirt or jersey or hat or you hid it in your house under your bed and you just bought something, you're not a Bills fan. You're not. Tell the truth. Just tell the truth. That's all I'm saying. I know Bills fans. One of my friends from my childhood is a Bills fan, and he's ecstatic right now. Okay, Lawrence is a Bills fan, and he's ecstatic right now. But there are other people that like the, you name it, that are Tampa Bay fans, Seattle fans, Denver fans, that just so happen to live in Central New York, and Buffalo Bills t-shirts were two for one at Target. So there you go. We'll take a fast break, and we'll come back to wrap up the show. This is a wake-up call. Fast break. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome in your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats, or pre-game 
inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. Utica Pizza Company spells family, your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Penn and Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcall. DT having a great show this morning. I always have a great show, but it, I'm just I'm so I'm just having a great. I'm feeling good, folks. You know, you gotta you gotta share that with people. We always share bad news. I put my foot in the snow and it is drenched, and I am so pissed. I went to the mall and this girl knocked me over with her bags and didn't even say sorry. I held a door open to somebody in the shopping market and they were they didn't even say thank you. That's what we hear people say on social media. Well, how about this, folks? I'm having an awesome day. I'm having a good day. You want to know why? A, I'm alive. B, I got God. C, I do what I love. D, 
I get to do that show with you listening. I got a great life. And I'm very honored. So, shout out to living the life that I live and being the person that I am. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what I do. And I'm very happy that people care enough to listen and be a part of it too. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being you. I appreciate it. Very much so. And I hope you appreciate your life too. Because you only got one to live. And you got to make it good. All the time. I'm going to continue here really quick with Black Monday. And this happened before Black Monday. And then we get into Cincinnati Bengals because it's insane. It's insane. And the thing is, it's so insane, but it's the Bengals. So it like made more sense to me than doing what was normal. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Ben McAdoo, he gets fired from the Giants. No big surprise. They go 11-5 and last year, 2-10 and this year. Now listen. 2-10 and under him. Now listen, though. Again, they lost Brandon Marshall before they even got him. They lost Sterling Shepard for a certain amount of time. Their rushing attack is atrocious. They didn't do anything to help their offensive line. Their offensive line got injured. Some of those names that were injured two years ago were injured this year. or They were injured last season were injured this season. So there's been a lot of issues, and they lost Odell Beckham Jr. So there's been a, a lot of problems that are not the fault of Ben McAdoo. At the same time, Ben McAdoo sat Eli Manning in his infinite wisdom, in the infinite wisdom that is Ben McAdoo, he said to himself, Self, I think that the best move that I can make on a team that's lost their three of their wide receivers, including their top two, that is playing a rookie tight end, that has no running attack, that has offensive linemen that get injured from season to season, with all of this going on in a defense that can barely stop anybody, my infinite wisdom screams to me that I should sit Eli Manning, the only ditch ray of hope that any person is buying a ticket to see. I should ruin his consecutive streak and sit him on my bench. Well, that secured his firing. That secured it. It secured it. Johnny just wrote in that he watched the movie It last night. We were supposed to... John, see, Johnny, big listener to the show, I said on the air, I said i go watch it with him. We have to watch it. We have to watch it. See, because the thing is, if you watch if you watch the movie It with me, I'm going to make you laugh. Because when I'm terrified, I'm funny. And when I'm okay, I'm funny. I believe that I'm a funny individual, okay? You, you got to believe you're funny in order to go out in life and, 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 and do comedy. You can't just be like, I think I'm terrible. <laughs> I think I'm horrible at my job. I think I'm a terrible broadcaster. Let's start a show. <laughs> so funny. Some people do that. Some people do it. I was podcasting when podcasting was not a common term in a household. I was podcasting like a decade ago when people are like, what's the podcast? Who does that? Now everybody's got a podcast. Kim Kardashian's got a podcast and her butt has one too. But, or should her butt have two shows because it can only take, I don't know. I'm not going to go there. So and, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. It's not going to make it happen. I'm not going to make it happen. Okay? I'm not shaming anybody. Kim Kardashian's butt is fake. Okay? It's fake news. Her butt is fake news. There's no way in the history of mankind that that butt is real. There's no way. And I want to know the small children that she's paying to run on hamster wheels inside of her pants to make that butt look like it's real because it's not. But, but I digress from Ben McAdoo. But for some reason it made sense. Ben McAdoo... 
It listen. I didn't understand the hiring of Ben McAdoo when it when it happened. I didn't. I just didn't. And yet I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe the Giants know something I don't. Apparently that's not the case. But when you sit Eli Manning, okay? When you sit Eli Manning, the only ray of hope you have, the only last ditch of anything that you have, the only thing that, that fans are coming to see, they are literally coming to see Eli Manning and they're dreaming of the days where he was defeating the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl not once but twice, and you sit him on the bench. So Ben McAdoo, the firing made perfect sense. I feel bad. I hope the best for him. And at the same time, I get it. I get it, and it makes sense. I don't wish bad on him. I'm just saying that it makes sense. Okay? Because it, it does. It made, it made sense why that happened. Marvin Lewis makes... This makes no sense. Yet, if you're a Cincinnati Bengal fan, this makes an entire sense. The Cincinnati Bengals live in eternity and opposite day. Okay? Picture a day that confused the hell out of you, and then picture the movie Snow Day being your reality. You live this day for 24 hours, it makes no sense, and you wake up and you're just in a loop living this day over and over again. That is the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals, every single season, for the most part, under Marvin Lewis, make the playoffs and lose in the first round. They're good enough to get there, but they can't make it past the first round. This year, they didn't even make it. They didn't even go to the playoffs this year. And Marvin Lewis literally looked like somebody spit in his oatmeal. That's how he looked. When he was doing press conference, it looked like somebody pooped in his chocolate milk. It looked like somebody put a hair in his macaroni salad. That's what his face looked like. I'm trying to make you all very hungry for lunch. But that's what it looked like. Now they beat the Ravens to keep the Ravens out of the playoffs and to propel the Bills into the playoffs, so I guess he did some good for other people. But they were 7-9 this year, and they didn't go to the playoffs. They didn't go to the playoffs. Shall we look at Marvin Lewis? Shall we look at his coaching history? Let's do that. Let's look at Marvin Lewis's coaching record. He's been with the Cincinnati Bengals since 2003. So for those of you playing the home game, that's 15 years. 2003, 4, all the way to 17, 18. 15 years. 8-8, eight 8-8, and 8-8. Eight, eight and eight. This is in, or, in order from 2003-4 on. So first season he was with the Bengals, 8-8, eight and eight, then 8-8, eight and eight, then 11-5, and 8-8, eight 7-9, 4-11, 10-6, 4-12, 9-7, 10-6, 11-5, 10-5-1, 12-4, 6-9-1, 7-9. 500-500, 11 wins. 500 below 500. I'm sorry, they were 4-11-1 that other year. <laughs> so... 500, 500, 11 wins, 500, below 500, below 500, 10 wins, below 500, 9 wins, 10, 11, 10, 12, oh my God, look it, we kept him all these years, and we're so happy we did so, then 6, 9, and 1, and 7, and 9, and in the midst of all of that, not winning a playoff game, so Marvin Lewis, everybody thought was going to get fired, they thought it was the end, Marvin Lewis is gone, we're moving forward. We're going to find our way out of this constant loop. Did you see the movie Doctor Strange? And Dormammu? And the way that he he makes Dormammu his prisoner. By every time Dormammu kills him, he has a time stone. And he just 
he just turns the time backwards and says, you can kill me as many as you want, but I'm just going to live for eternity and you're going to be stuck here with me. That is what it feels like to have Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. Oh my good Lord. He needs a change of scenery. They need a change of scenery. In a strange turn of events, the Cincinnati Bengals went from finally saying we're moving forward to signing Marvin Lewis back for two more years. To sign Marvin Lewis back for two more years. I always make relationship analogies and follow me down the road on this one. Hopefully we will, we will laugh and have fun. If we cry, then it's probably because it's probably because the wound of the person you were with is too fresh. The Cincinnati Bengals and Marvin Lewis, from my perspective, are like that girl that you dated and for the first few months, because I got I can't put this in years, I gotta put this in, in, in months time. For the first few months, things are really good. Eight and eight, eight and eight, eleven and five. Things are really good. And I thought this is the girl that I could marry. Then eight and eight, seven and nine, four and eleven and one, you start to realize that the first three months were kind of a show. And who she said she was, she isn't necessarily that person. But you stay with her, hoping that she'll trend back upward. You hope that the girl that you met in the first three months is not this girl that you've been with for the last seven months, and that it'll go back to what it was. And then it seemingly does. 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 10, 5 and 1, 12 and 4. But stump, something inside of you is nagging. Something's keeping you from giving her that engagement ring. And then all of a sudden, the crazy lady rears her ugly head and you're 6, 9, and 1, and 7, and 9. I had a relationship that looks like this relationship with Marvin Lewis. I had one. Really great. Really awesome. Who the hell is this woman that I'm dating? Oh my God. I'm in the twilight zone. Someone save me. Should I call the cops? Oh my God. Things are getting better. She's okay. We break up for five seconds. Maybe she'll have time to think. Maybe things will get better. I want to get back together. Why do I want to get back together? Oh my God, she's crazy. I got to get this woman out of here. But I like her and I'm attracted to her. But she's insane. But I don't feel safe. I'm finally going to break up with her. You know what? Let's stay together a few more months and see what happens. I let go. <laughs> I went through the 900. What do they say when you're grieving? That there's like seven steps. Dating a psychotic person, there's 952 steps. And I hope to the good Lord Jesus that you don't have to go through all of them and that by the 15th step, you learn your lesson. I married a wonderful, beautiful, amazing person inside and out. Thank the good Lord Jesus that God is great. Before marrying this wonderful woman that I call Kate, and so does the rest of the world, I dated a woman that was kind of a lunatic. But I learned my lesson. And after all the time spent over a year and a half, I think, I said to myself, let's weigh why I'm in the relationship and let's weigh why I want to get out of the relationship. And what was keeping me in was like two things. And what was pulling me out was reality. I broke up. What We broke it off, okay? She, she did it. I did I don't care, 
Okay? She did me a favor. We're not together anymore. Because it did make sense and it didn't work and it wasn't consistently good. The Cincinnati Bengals are like me if I decided after all the hell broke loose to take this woman on a vacation and spend $500 on her. Except for they're spending millions of dollars on this Marvin Lewis. Okay? Relationship analogy. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Down, 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 down. A little bit of up, down, 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 down. You break up and you move on. Your conscience is being your guide and telling you, run to the high hills. And move forward. The Cincinnati Bengals, they can't quit you. They just can't qu They can't quit Marvin Lewis. They can't do it. They got that flavor that they like and they can't let go. You know, Marvin Lewis is about to walk out that door. He turns and flashes a smile and all of a sudden they're back in bed together. This is what it's become in Cincinnati. If you're a Cincinnati fan right now, I don't know how reality feels, but probably like the upside down of the, of the TV show Stranger Things. Because nothing to me makes any sense. Nothing makes any sense. You dated the girl, you tried it out, it didn't work. You tried again, it didn't work. You tried 15, it didn't work. 15 years, 15 years with Marvin Lewis. 15 it's like entering a cheat code for Contra, is what Ectocore said. I feel, and can you elaborate, Ectocores, because I don't know what that means. It's like entering a cheat code for Contra. Elaborate, sir, please. I want to I wanna know what you mean before we round out today's show. But... I, I can't. I don't understand it. I don't... The only thing that makes... Th this, like... It's like an exception to the rule. 31 NFL teams, I don't think would make the decision to keep Marvin Lewis. But for some odd reason, Cincinnati, like this is what I think Cincinnati did in their infinite wisdom. I think that they, oh, I got it, Ectocores. I'll read that in a second. Cincinnati, I really honestly feel like they like fired Marvin Lewis and then they sat in the front office and they go, let's figure out a list of candidates we'd like to bring in. You know who's a great guy who I just found out came available? Marvin Lewis. It was like the schizophrenic move of the century. Let's fire Marvin Lewis and let's and then let's go, you know what? I was looking at all those guys out there, you know, that John Gruden guy and all those coordinators and assistants in New England and I don't think they can beat out that Marvin Lewis guy. I heard Cincinnati left him go. You're Cincinnati. You let him go. You did it. Oh my good Lord. You're the ones that let him go. You let him go. You finally realized the girl was crazy. You finally realized you were in the relationship for only a couple things. You finally let her go and your parents were about to throw you a party and bring you to dinner because they're so happy that now they know for sure that you're not going to marry that psychopath and now you're back in bed with her. Cincinnati. Oh my good Lord. If you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan right now and you want to call me, I'm going to have to create a hotline. 1-800-I'll-help-you. I don't know. Because I feel like Cincinnati fans deserve... I know they deserve better, but I feel like they just... They need a hug. 
You know, I feel like Cincinnati needs a hug. I want to, I want to like file a Cincinnati line outside my studio where every commercial break, I just hug as many of you as I possibly can. Ectocore said it's like entering a cheat code for Contra. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA start. I like it, Ectocores. I was going to make an inappropriate joke, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's a family show. Okay. It's a family show. Off the air, I'll tell you the joke, but it's a family show. But I just. I want to sit here and I want to talk with you about the future of the Cincinnati Bengals, but the future is the same. Same quarterback, same receiver, same now three-headed running back scenario, same defense that struggles to stop people, same team that confuses the hell out of people, and the same coach leading the same... What did he say in his statement? He said in his statement that... We have a plat. We we have all these talented people coming back, and I get to coach them, and and I'm gonna lead them. You had the opportunity to coach them and lead them. It didn't work. This makes no sense. It makes no sense. Cincinnati, let the girl go. She ain't good for you, and you ain't good for her. And you deserve the opportunity to meet other people. That is Wake Up Call for today's broadcast. That was a lot of fun for me. I hope you laughed in the last uh, little bit here. If you didn't laugh in the beginning, how dare you? But hopefully you had a good, a good time to round out the show, speaking on Marvin Lewis. And uh, boy, crazy. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. And if you don't understand my Marvin Lewis analogy... You married the girl that you were supposed to leave, okay? If you don't understand the analogy, you're with the girl or the guy that wasn't right for you. Happy New Year. (laughs) Oh, God. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening in to the show. It is Wednesday, January 3rd. We will be back January 4th. And, of course, every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, exclusively here on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT and on WakeUpCallDT.com's homepage. In the meantime, go to WakeUpCallDT.com, subscribe to the website, and download the RSS feed, get the iTunes podcast, and get the downloadable app powered by Podbean of over 800 shows right now for your listening pleasure and anytime you want to listen right there on wakeupcalldt.com. Twitter, at calldt. Facebook, at wakeupcalldt. And Instagram, at wakeupcall underscore dt. Really quick here, the fans weighed in, and I want to share what you're thinking. You can vote right now. So if you're a member of Twitter, make sure you follow me, at calldt. C-A-L-L-D-T. I said, what's your reaction to Marvin Lewis remaining the Bengals head coach for at least two more seasons? 23% of you said shocked, 32% of you said confused, and 45% of you said not surprised. So you're like me. We've just kind of understood that Cincinnati runs by their own set of rules that make no logical sense. And that's where we are in this world that we live in today. Jeepers Christmas. So I will talk with you tomorrow. Plenty coming up tomorrow. Papa Joe's picks. We're going to discuss college football and everything that's been going on with Papa Joe and so much more through the looking glass, a deeper look at a trending topic. Proudly brought to you by the event planning company, Looking Glass Events. Call them for your event today. 315-702-4653. 
That's 315-702-4653. Big shout out to Muddy Waters. I will be there this Thursday and every Thursday for game show night. We have awesome people that have come out every single week, great teams, and we're building this thing. It's never been done in Central and Upstate New York, so be a part of history, be a part of something new, something different, something innovative, and something fun, and I look forward to seeing you this Thursday, January 4th at 7 p.m. at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, to hang out with me and play some game show night. It goes quick. It's about an hour of your time, and it is Family Feud meets Pictionary. I will see you at Money Waters. And you will hear from me tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. God bless. Be well. Big shout out to Sean Pinkerton for being a guest on the show today, as well as Dave Paziak. And a shout out to my callers, Johnny and Jimmy, for being a part of the broadcast. God bless y'all, and I'll talk with you soon.